Yarra Libraries acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land now known as Yarra. We also acknowledge the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people made to life in Yarra, and pay our respects to all elders, past, present and future. This episode of the Yarra Libraries podcast is brought to you by Yarra Libraries and the Ewing Trust. Fitzroy Library is fortunate to have the continued support of the Ewing Trust, a fund that fosters literacy, libraries and a lifelong love of learning in the historic Melbourne suburb of Fitzroy. Through the support of the Ewing Trust, Fitzroy Library is able to run special events and programs, including the Fitzroy Writers Festival, for the benefit of Fitzroy residents and visitors to the area. On this podcast, award-winning author Laura Alvary will talk about her new collection of short stories called Ordinary Matter. In 1895, Alfred Nobel rewrote his will and left his fortune made in dynamite and munitions to generations of thinkers. Since 1901, women have been honoured with the Nobel Prizes for their scientific research 20 times, including Marie Curie twice. Spanning more than a century and ranging across the world, this inventive short story collection is inspired by these women whose work has altered history and saved millions of lives. From a transformative visit to the Grand Canyon, to a baby washing up on a Queensland beach, a climate protest during a Paris heatwave, to Stockholm on the eve of the 1977 Nobel Prize ceremony, these stories interrogate the nature of inspiration and discovery, motherhood and sacrifice, illness and legacy. Ordinary Matter is published by University of Queensland Press and is available to buy from all good booksellers, as well as being available to borrow from Yarra Libraries. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Your new book is called Ordinary Matter. It's your second collection of short stories. Your first collection, Trick of the Light, came out in early 2018. Ordinary Matter is a series of stories inspired by the women that have won Nobel Prizes for their scientific research. How did this idea come about? When I wrote Trick of the Light, the title story in that book tells about the Radium Girls in post-World War One. Uh, It's a story set in New Jersey and it's about women who worked in these factories with a radium mixture that they painted onto dials and clocks and compasses to make them glow in the dark. And in that story, the main character, who we come to realise her life is on the up now but it will be, like many of these women, quite doomed, she sort of obliquely mentions Marie Curie and I'd always been kind of fascinated ever since then actually about Marie Curie and I wanted to somehow revisit her or in a, in a perhaps more of a, a straight way than that story. And so I just started to research her a little bit. This is after Trick of the Light came out and came across one Australian woman who'd won the Nobel Prize, Elizabeth Blackburn, who I'd never heard of. Uh, and so she won in 2009. She's the only Australian women, woman to have won a Nobel in any field ever. And she's still alive. She worked for George W. Bush on an ethics committee. She works in California. And I was kind of surprised I hadn't heard of her. And so the collection kind of came out of me thinking, I want to write another book. I was putting in a grant application at the time. And sometimes you have an idea and you send off an application and then if you receive the grant application then you have committed to doing it and that's kind of 
how it began. And at that stage, it was only going to be 18 stories because that was the number of women who'd won. And then in the years since then, two more won. And so the collection became a nice 20. How did you go about researching the stories of the woman that won the Nobel Prize? So early on, I I was a bit stifled at the start once I'd realised this was going to be my next project. And mm. I think I was a bit stuck because I was trying to figure out what I should do for the book rather than what I really wanted to do. So I was trying to go, okay, should each story have the woman at its centre? Should it be first person each woman, which is like a book I was reading at the time, which is wonderful, called Love of a Bad Man by Laura Elizabeth Woollett. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're first person famous women in history. And I realised I didn't want to do that. And then I wondered, should I, should each of the stories be set in the year that the woman won? And I realised I didn't want to do that. So anyway, it came about, I took that to my writers group and we had a really good discussion and I realised that I wanted this, the book Ordinary Matter to be a lot more freewheeling than that, a lot more creatively sort of divergent, I guess, and I needed to be yeah. able to write a story that was really closely linked to a woman and I also needed to be able to write ones that were a little bit weirder perhaps or a little bit more oblique. And so I did, I mean, I really did just set up a Google Doc that has a table, each woman, and as I researched each person, I would just drop in bits of information that struck me about her research or about her prize or her background. Like these are all really, really fascinating women, every single one of them. And the good thing about short stories, I guess, is that, and the way I write anyway, is that... I could be writing story number four and then realise I was over it for a little bit and just start writing story number seven or 13 or whatever. And and I just went back and forward for a couple of years and I researched them. I Like I read biographies about some of the women, spent a lot of time on the Nobel Prize website and and just kind of filled in the blanks and whenever there was something that intrigued me, sometimes it was really easy from the get-go. I knew exactly what I was going to do and other times it took lots of goes, lots and lots of goes. Yeah, it, it seems like uh, you know, reading it, you know, you're using these women's stories as a kind of jumping-off point yeah. for your imagination to build worlds that these stories are set in. Yes. Some of them are in the past, some of them are in the, in the future, some of them... Uh, set in a single period of time yes, uh, and some of them kind of span over a a longer period of time. You know, they're connected to the woman in different ways. Mm. Some are very clearly connected to the prize winners and some are more abstractly connected. Yeah. This is always a tricky question to ask, but (laughs) how did these ideas come to you? Um, Well, it was all very deliberate, the abstract abstract part. That's all very deliberate, so thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll just say as well, when I, um, got a pub, when I got a publishing contract for this book, the publisher, we had a really good discussion about shaping the book and I find that part of the process really interesting. Like I got a contract for the book before it was finished. It was maybe a quarter or a third finished. I'm always really open to ideas, so I was open to how she thought it could be shaped just a little bit. And one of the things we did talk about was 
perhaps my initial stories had been even loosey-goosier than some of them are now. So part of the shaping was not all of these stories can be tightly connected to the women. Not all of them mm. can be so abstract, Laura, that people people other than you don't know yeah. what you're talking about. Like it's all in my brain, all this research. And I'd say, no, but the link is here. But I, I, was, I was really grateful that we did have those discussions about it. And then added in at the end of Ordinary Matter, there are um, author notes. And I kind of had a really good time writing that because that was sort of a distillation of all this research I'd done for years. And yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't sure at the start if I wanted to do that because it does feel like it's, you know, pointing out things a bit. But I realise now that readers have told me they really enjoyed seeing where my brain sort of took me and the part of this woman's life that inspired the story. So where did I get the ideas from? I mean, all different, all over the shop, really. The first one, I'll give you an example. The first one is called You Run Towards Love. It's yep. it's the story for Marie Curie. She gets the first two stories in the book. So mm-hmm. she won in 1903 for physics and 1911 for chemistry. And so I know I I knew that I needed to open the book in such a way it, with a story that really does it's supposed to set up some threads for the rest of the book I think and likewise the final story should sort of bookend it in my opinion anyway. And so the idea for that story came about so she won in 1903 and I wondered what happened 100 years after she won. I I thought I wonder if France her adopted country kind of did any celebrations. So I looked up what was what was happening in Paris and France mm. in 2003 on the centenary of her winning that prize. And so then you sort of go down this 2003 rabbit hole and you realise that Europe was going through a terrible heat wave at that time. Lots of people died. Mm. And so I thought, okay, I don't need to set this one in 1903, but I could set it in 2003 in the summer and during this heat wave the government gave companies who own nuclear reactors permission to release water that was hotter than they usually ought to into the rivers to cool and which of course creates problems and so I think that story kind of came out of out of I wanted to the first story to be kind of set in the 21st century. I wondered about these two people who meet on a train going to Paris or see each other on a train going to Paris. What might it have been like one evening in Paris during this heat wave? And then the title of the story, and and I have been inspired to write stories simply based on a single line, the title You Run Towards Love, I heard that um, I heard somebody saying that on another podcast and I thought, let's build a story around, you know, it's kind of this magpie process. A heat wave in itself isn't a story. The line you run towards love isn't a story. But if you can kind of put these few things together, that's that's how my brain works in a bit. This bit, this mm-hmm. bit, this bit. Set it in one afternoon, set it in one evening. What's at stake um, what can I get these two people to do? Why are they here? Who else is populating mm. this story? Those sorts of things. So that's one example of where an idea came from. 
There are 20 stories in the collection. I wanted to ask you about a few of the ones that resonated with me the most. Uh, I was thinking about the, this one uh, and why I liked it. And it reminded me of a thing I read once about photorealist painters. And that was that the more you can minutely describe every detail of a scene, the more surreal that scene becomes. Ooh. It's almost like the more real something is, the more dreamlike it is. Yeah. And the story Little Fly goes into these minute details to describe a baby at a beach with the baby's mum yep. <laughs> uh, and the bond between the mother and the baby and then the flight of a mosquito towards the baby. Mm. And it also mentions uh, Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the author's notes where you um, where you list the person that inspired each particular story, this one's inspired by a uh, Chinese pharmaceutical chemist and a malariologist mm. called Tu Yu. I hope I've pronounced that right. That's how I say it, Sam. Yeah, that's my understanding. Now, Tu Yu, she won the Nobel Prize for her discoveries while studying malaria. Uh, how, how did this story come about? Well, I'm glad you like that one. That actually, when the yeah. book was in its early stages, that would have been the final story in the book. And as I said to you earlier, like you can write a short story collection in any order you want. You can have five short stories on the go if you want to. So I thought the book would be 18 stories long and I thought this mm. one would end the collection. And it ended up, this is actually one of the earliest ones I wrote, even though it was going to be the final one. So, yeah, it's totally fascinating. This woman was working in Beijing and actively looking for malaria treatments and looked in these Chinese texts that were 1,600 years old and came across a compound from a plant that had been used in the past. And it was something to do, I think, with previously people had come across this compound, I think, but had been reading it wrong and had been using either hot or cold water to extract it, mm. and it should have been the opposite. I was really interested in this, what I thought would be the final story, in having this baby on holidays in a foreign country with her family and I wanted to give a baby sort of this inner life in this short story. So the baby is the narrator. She has a rich inner life. She understands some things about where she is and her mother and her mm. father and her older brother and there are other things that she obviously doesn't understand and in sort of a, a very brief moment there's a mosquito that is coming towards this baby and the reader might be able to suggest what's going to happen if the mosquito makes it towards this fat, cute little plump baby that we've <laughs> that we've come to love um, on holidays with her family. And I guess the implication for that one is she's saved and what will she grow up to do? Because many, many, many of the victims of malaria worldwide, hundreds of thousands, mm. Mm. are children. What is it, 60% of all malaria deaths are children under five. And so I guess I just wanted to, you know, I've got two small children. I think they do have these rich inner lives. And what would a baby notice on holiday? What would a baby notice in a loving family? And then the Mary Shelley link that you talked about, Sam, like I said, I was a, I'm a bit of a magpie when it comes to these things, is mm. I'd been reading about Mary Shelley and this diary she kept and the lines in the diary that she recorded when she, at a very young age, had a baby 
and tried to feed the baby during the night, but the baby was sort of asleep and, and didn't wake up. And then there's this awful tragic line that she records that she recorded where she said, um, "Woke up to find my baby dead." And so I had the mm. have the mother of this child, and she's a worrying mother. Um, read this same article, I guess, that I was reading <laughs> a couple of years ago about Mary Shelley, and kind of these little moments of grief that people have, these fears that people have, whether they have children or not but that are kind of universal, like this was Mary Shelley having this experience hundreds of years ago and I've given it to the mother character in this story to sort of show these links across time. There's another story that features a baby on a beach called Something Close to Gold. In this story, a baby is found on a beach. And in the author's notes section at the end of the book, uh, you mentioned that the woman who inspired the story worked on transforming one element to another, uh, which resembled alchemy. So how did the concept of alchemy inform this story? Yeah, so something close to gold, a baby is found on the beach, found by a woman who is desperately seeking a baby of her own. And that story came about, I originally had the idea for that one. Sometimes I have a really strong character voice and not a plot at all, really. And I had a, a strong character voice for that woman and so I just sort of free wrote a little bit about in this woman's voice the sort of person I thought she was and as I was writing she ended up being in a doctor's office and it ended up being a fertility doctor's office. And mm. that part, you know, like as in a lot of drafting, that part got cut but the rest of the story, like a plot really did emerge out of the type of woman I was really interested in in exploring, the idea that had struck me. So the story, the person who inspired that one is Irene Joliot-Curie, Marie Curie's daughter. So, the, so she won in 1935. So the first three were Curie family women winners. And mm -hmm. for this story, which is a bit more of an oblique one about Irene, is she worked with her husband was her student, Irene's student, and then became her husband. And I was really interested in the idea of transformation for this story, how one thing can become something else, how a family of two people can yearn to be a family of three people and then they are. And I wanted it to be really quick and sort of quote-unquote easy for them at the start. They're two people and by the afternoon they're three people in their family. And I also was really interested, like I said, the story started, this woman that I was interested in, suddenly she's transformed by it and her husband is transformed by it and she, in a sense, opens up and becomes a really different woman because of it in a pleasing way, in a way that she's happy with, um, in a way that makes her happier as a character. And we know that the man during the story is called Frederick but it's absolutely not set in 1935. It's set in, it doesn't name it, but a contemporary sort of Australian setting. It's set on the Sunshine Coast. So mm. the place in the story is important as well. They live on the coast. They live near the beach. Storms are happening and, and one night a strange man from a department walks up the path to their front door when it's raining and sort of delivers them some news about this baby. Another story Corn Queen is about a girl that is about to take part in an annual parade in a small town which celebrates the corn harvest. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the girl is going to be corn queen at the parade. Um, however, she's anxious because at last year's parade, protesters threatened to protest about uh, genetically modified yeah. corn. What, what inspired this one? Uh, and there's corn on the cover of the book, as you would, as you can tell, uh, yeah. as well, Sam. Yeah, yeah corn makes an appearance. Um, so I'm a big fan of corn right now. That the book designer put that on there. Um, <laughs> yeah. I I grew up in Toowoomba, Sam. And we have the Carnival of Flowers in September every year. And we used to go down when we were little kids and sit on the footpath um, in the main street. I mean, Toowoomba's a big city, but it felt like a little town Mm. to me when I was a kid. And we'd watch this flower parade and it would go through the town and then there was a sideshow alley at night. It really was like the highlight. And Mm. I remember all these floats going past. and And it, yes, it was kind of odd and you can still go to the carnival of flowers and see this parade and there is a real mix of the types of floats and so that's kind of where the idea uh came from and then I also remembered having these discussions when I did science in high school so I did biology to senior and I don't know if I was the best science student but I had a really great teacher and we used to kind of argue about genetically modified things like it was kind of a big deal when I was in high school it was a real Mm. talking point this idea Mm. of GMO and it was sort of controversial but from his perspective it was a really I mean he was probably being a bit enlightened actually it's it was sort of it might solve problems but it was a it was a real thing that people sort of talked about and they still do so I just had this idea that perhaps the parade might be disrupted by this by these people coming and protesting And I also wanted that story to have a lovely brother-sister relationship as twins because the person who inspired that story is Barbara McClintock who really, I mean, I don't know what, I don't know how she talked about her obsessions, but she really did study corn for many, Mm. many years and was kind of treated a bit badly by members of the scientific community because her research did seem so unusual at the time so strange and it was sort of the idea that genes can affect physical characteristics you know know, for a lot of these women the things that they research now seem so are so accepted and so Mm. obvious so I I sort of wanted to write a bit of a story about a bit of an odd bod and that's who Connie is in that story corn queen Uh, the book is coming out on September the 1st how's it been received Pretty well, I think, so far. I mean, um, this is the good part. This is where nothing bad has happened yet, has it? No, I've had I had a beautiful review. I shouldn't say that. I had a beautiful review, an Australian book review. It was Book of the Week a couple of weeks ago. Great. And that was just the most – that was a surprise. I didn't know that one was coming out at all. And that was just such a beautiful review from Susan Medalia where someone has read your work mm. and – really understood, I think she really understood what I was trying to do, what I was trying to do with each of the stories and how the directions I wanted it to go in and and she said really lovely things about how it hangs together as a, as a collection and I thought that I felt really pleased with that one. And Tony Jordan and Abigail Ullman and Keridwin Dovey and Brooke Davis all said lovely things about it for the cover. Mm. And then, you know, it's already started to pop up it's just a really nice thing. Like you get a month or so, don't you really, with a book. You know, it comes out, lots of books have come out this year, 
Lots of books are coming out in September 2020. And so I feel really lucky to get any reviews and and it's a really lovely thing. I think perhaps when Trick of the Light came out, I wasn't probably on social media quite as much. Mm. But there's this lovely range of people on, say, Instagram who write reviews and I've got some lovely ones from those people who've, you know, so it pops up on your phone that someone has read your book and someone has liked your book and and that's kind of all all you're after really at this point or all I'm after is people have read it for what it is. It's not biographies of these women. It's it's supposed to be a, it was a creative challenge for me really. It's the book I wanted to write and I wanted each story to feel different and so when people pick up on those sorts of things, it's such a lovely compliment and I'm really looking forward to, because I'm in Brisbane, you know, I'm talking to you from my house where I'm working from home but we are able to, I can go down to my local bookshop and I'm looking forward to seeing it on the shelf. Like that was a real thrill when my first book came out is walking into Avid Reader and I saw it up on the shelf and folio books in the city and so I'm looking forward to doing those sorts of things. Seeing it there, knowing that people are reading it at all is a real joy, actually. You mentioned uh, the corn on the cover. It is a beautiful cover, so it'll stand it's out really well. beautiful cover. Thank the, you. Uh, so that's Josh Durham who did my first cover, and I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. What have you been reading recently? Lots, actually, surprisingly. A bit of writing but more reading. So I read The Labyrinth by Amanda Laurie. Okay. Which is this terrific, very atmospheric, contemporary Australian literary novel. A woman moves to a little seaside town for reasons and oh, so she's a terrific protagonist. It's a really unusual book. It kind of doesn't do what you think it will do. Mm. I really loved that one. I read The Mother Fault by Kate Mildenhall. I'm halfway through that which is coming out this week as well, September as well. Great. And, oh, I'm hooked. I would just, I wish I could just abandon all of my jobs and um, parenting duties and just sit and finish that one. I'm really enjoying that. And then the other one that I started that I've been meaning to start for a really long time is Ducks Newburyport by Lucy Ellman. I'm not usually into a, a thousand page book. I'm not usually that sort of person if those people exist, but it is just gorgeous. And I've decided to just try to read a few pages every day and it will take me as long as it will take me. It's beautiful, really beautiful. And how about your writing? Have you got any plans coming up for writing? Yeah, I do. I've got a couple of short I had a short story out with the Sunday paper last month, which was really great. And I've got another one coming out in Ireland soon, which is really nice. I mean, I just keep writing them. I just keep getting a nice idea for a short story. And... Mm. It's just I find it really pleasurable. I mean, this year has been tough for many, many people and for a lot of writers perhaps writing has slowed down. It certainly slowed down for me. So writing a little short story here and there, if I can do that and if it makes me happy for a little bit, then I'm just going to keep doing it. But I am long-term. The other things that I'm reading actually, Sam, are books related to my next project, which is a novel which will probably take me a bit longer to write than these last two books, which is okay as well. Mm. And I'm giving myself a bit more time to write it. So it's set or it starts in 1910 in London 
and then goes backwards from there a little bit. Yeah, so a novel will be next. That was author Laura Alvary talking about Ordinary Matter, her new collection of short stories. Ordinary Matter is published by the University of Queensland Press and is available to buy from all good booksellers, as well as being available to borrow from Yarra Libraries. Please rate, share and subscribe to the Yarra Libraries podcast feed for more podcasts like this. If you are not a Yarra Libraries member, please join. It's free and gives you access to the vast collection situated across the five libraries within the city of Yarra. Thanks once again to the Ewing Trust for their support of literacy and learning in Fitzroy and for making this podcast possible.